Thank you, Pastor Rick. If you would, keep your Bibles open there to Mark chapter 8, please. The title of message tonight is, What Are You Living For? Or, For What Are, are You Living? And so, what are you living for? Let me ask you, what are you living for? What are your goals and objectives in life? What are you living for as a believer, as a Christian? And so, i like to start off with, underneath this, is notice the value of a soul. To the Lord, there's nothing more valuable than a soul of man. And notice here in this question here is asked, Jesus uses the penetrating questions and economic terms to show the supreme value of a soul. And notice the contrasting values here. First of all, is the contrast between the world which we live and also the, the soul of a man. In the world in which we live, it says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the what? The whole world, and yet lose his soul. So the contrasting values here is the world in which we live and the soul of man. So my question, which of the two are you living for? So often we as Christians, we get caught up in this world to live for the things the world offers us. Many of them things are wrong, some of them are not wrong. Yet we get so caught up in gaining what the world offers us, we forget about people without Christ. We forget about souls for which Christ died. And so, let me ask you a question. If a person gained the whole world, what would he obtain? If a person gained the whole world, what would he gain by doing so? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Go with me now, if you would please, to 1 John chapter 2. So the contrast of values is between the world in which we live and the soul of man. And Jesus said, if a man should gain the whole world, and yet lose his soul, what shall it profit him? Now, let's talk about comprehending this world. If I were to gain the whole world, he said, if a man should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what profit would it be? So let's talk about this world. What would I gain? If a person seek to gain to have what this world offered, what would he gain? If a man gained the whole world, what would he gain? Look in 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. Here it tells us what the world is made up of. 1 John 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15, talking about comprehending this world. And verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying here, this world is diametrically opposed to our God. And if a man loves the world... He cannot love the Lord at the same time. The love of the Father, not the love, not God's love, but the love for the Father is not in him. I cannot love God and love the world at the same time because they're diametrically opposed. And so what is this world made up of? Notice here in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, notice three things here, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father shall abide forever. Notice here, the world consists of three things. Hope you write them down. First of all, it says, all this world. So a person gains the world. What does he gain? First of all, number one, all this world, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Many people refer to that as sensualism. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is craving for physical pleasure. 
the preoccupation with gratifying physical desires. Now, some of that may be sinful desires. Some may be just desires for physical things. That's not wrong. Uh, how many of you have a bucket list? You know what I mean by a bucket list? Things you want to do in life. Dr. Curtis Hudson, one of my favorite preacher, is in heaven now. He said the lust of the flesh is the consuming desire to do. The consuming desire to do. And many of us have bucket lists. Interesting. The church gave back a, la- a couple of, about a year and a half ago, gave my wife and I some money for my 40th anniversary here at the church for us to do something we always wanted to do. And one of my bucket lists that I want to do, which we plan to do in January, is always wanting to go to New Zealand. I've seen many movies from over there, and the landscape is just beautiful over there. So next January, January 2023, we're going to fly into Australia, and from there get on a cruise and go around the island, the country of New Zealand, and make many stops. That is one of the things on my bucket list I've always wanted to do. And so we'd planned that this past January. But that's when COVID hit. Remember, they closed down Australia and closed down New Zealand and stopped all the cruise ships, which was very fortunate for me because last January is when I had my heart attack. And I would have been on the cruise ship, and chances are I would not be here today. But the Lord knew, did he not? So now this January, we've rescheduled it. We're planning to go over the middle of January. My wife has a bucket list we're going to do while we're there. She's always wanted to go snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef outside of Australia. And so we're going to go there a couple of days early and hopefully fly up there where they can take a ship out there and do snorkeling. How many like to go snorkeling? And especially when there's a lot of the beautiful fish. We've been snorkeling in Hawaii outside of Maui several times, and we'd love to do that. It's just beautiful to be watching these beautiful fish in clear water. So that's on her bucket list. So we're going to try to do her bucket list and also do mine. But these, these things would fall under, not the sinful way, but fall under the lust of the flesh. Things we desire to do physically that we can enjoy ourselves. So think about it. If you live to be 100 years old, and from the time you were born to the time you died, you were able to do everything you ever wanted to do without hesitation, without reservation, you would gain one-third of the world. Because remember, the, the first third of the world is the lust of the flesh. Again, I have a consuming desire to do. Let me say that again. If you lived 100 years old, everything you ever wanted to do, you could do without hesitation, without reservation, you could do it, no matter if it's sinful or not. That you could do that your whole life, you would gain one-third of this world. Because all this in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The second thing that makes up this world is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is also called materialism. First of all, we had sensualism. Now materialism. Now I'm going somewhere with all this, okay? Don't let me lose you. Lust of the eyes is the craving for everything that we see. Coveting and accumulating material possessions. If it does not define America, we're always wanting more. I can remember as a child, uh, I did not, was not raised in a wealthy family. We had uh, bare necessities. But every Christmas, we, ha- we get what they call the Sears wish book. Anybody do that? 
and we sit down and spend hours in that wish book wishing the things we can get. That was the lust of the eyes. <laughs> we had look at things, I want that, I want that, I want that. By the way, I never got it, but it was the lust of the eyes. And uh, it's a craving of everything that you see. The lust of the eyes, according to Dr. Curtis Hudson, is the compelling urge to have. The lust of the flesh, consuming desire to do. The lust of the eyes, a compelling urge to have. So again, think about this. If you would have lived 100 years old, and the time you were born to the time you died, everything you ever saw, you got. Can you imagine it? I remember when I was in Florida Bible College in my early 20s. We lived off, there was right in Hollywood, Florida, right on the beach. I would drive down Hollywood Boulevard and drive down the, uh, I forgot what the road is called, right beside the beach, A1A, down there. And we'd go down there to some of the most richest places in all the world was down there. I mean, I'd be driving my 71 uh, Oldsmobile. I'd be passed up by a Maserati, by a Bentley, by a, a, all different cars. I said, boy, I wish I could have that. Boy, I wish I could drive that. Can you imagine? Just all of a sudden, I wish I could be driving that. Boom, I'm behind it, driving it. <laughs> or we saw these houses, mansions worth millions. I wish I had one of those, and all of a sudden, I'm living in it. I found that's the lust of the eyes. Can you imagine? Everything you ever saw, you got, just like that. No matter what it was, without reservation or hesitation, the moment you saw it, I want that, it's yours. My friend, if you did that from the time you were born to the time you died, lived 100 years old, you'd gain the second one-third of the world. Because the world was made up of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And so, number three, number three, the third thing this world is made up of, because remember, all this in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and thirdly, the pride of life. This is called humanism. From sensualism, and then uh, materialism, now humanism. <coughs> the pride of life is the pride in our achievements, obsession with one's status of or importance. By the way, in other way, is there anything you want to be in your life? I can remember as a boy... Growing up, you know what I always wanted to be? I wanted to be Mighty Mouse. Anybody remember Mighty Mouse? <laughs> when I was a boy, I used to watch that on television. In fact, on the Sears, not Sears, the Kellogg's Corn Flakes uh, box, if you got six box tops of Kellogg's Corn Flakes, you get a free Mighty Mouse shirt. And I got one. And it had a cape on the back of it. And I'd run around the yard, and the cape would be flapping, and for a few moments of time, I was Mighty Mouse. I exactly achieved what I wanted to be. Later on, I remember I wanted to be Superman. But can you imagine having a life and thinking you wanted to be? You became immediately. Maybe you wanted to be a superstar athlete or a movie star. Maybe you wanted to be some great person financially, whatever. You want to be successful in business. Can you imagine anything you ever wanted to be immediately you become. If you've done that, if you lived 100 years old, from the time you were born to the time you die, if you could become everything you wanted to be, you obtain the third one-third of the world. Because the world consists of three things. The lust of the flesh, the consuming desire to do. The lust of the eyes, the compelling urge to have. And the pride of life is the constant thrust to be. To be, to be. What do you want to be? 
when you, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? And can you imagine if, if that moment you wanted to become it, you, you did it? You become exactly what you want to be. Then John concludes in the uh, latter part of verse 16. He said, all this is not of the Father, but of the world. The world passes away, and the lust thereof, and he that doeth the will of the Father is heaven. But notice here, we saw here the value of a soul. We saw the contrast between this world and a lost soul. We saw what it, uh, comprehending the world, this world made up of. And now I'm going to talk about the valuing, what God values. Now think about that. Of all that the world has, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And think of that. Everything you want to do or be or have, you got. Think of all the value of that. Here's what God does. God looks upon that, the world's dreams, and he sees a loss, one lost soul over here. So that one soul is more valuable to me than all the world offers. That's what he says. He says there, basically, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, those three things, and lose his soul? So the thing the world lifts up, their dream, the thing they want to achieve in life, God says, you can have that. But what's more valuable to me is a one lost soul. So I ask you a question again. What are you living for? Most of us are living for things we see, things we want to have, and the things we want to do, the things we want to be, and not for lost souls. My friend, God places more value on a lost soul, the value of a soul. Number two, I'm going to call this the lure of the world. The lure of the world. You ever go fishing and you have lures? You throw out there and try to track fish? Let me, I want to talk about the lure of the world. Satan will use the things of this world to lure, to tempt you from what is important to God. What is important to God are lost souls. People without Christ trying to win them with the gospel of Christ. That's what's important to God. Yet, however, God uses those things of the world to lure us from what is important to God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I want to share with you, every temptation you receive in life will fall in one of those three categories. Let's look at the enticement of Eve. Go now to Genesis chapter 3, please. Again, every temptation you have in this life will fall into one of those three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're going to see this when Satan enticed Eve. Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. Here is the temptation of Eve in the garden. Look in verse 6, please. Genesis 3, verse 6. And you're going to see each one of those three areas of temptation. Again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right here in this one verse. In verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for what? Food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to husband with her and he did eat. Notice right here, each one of these points. Said She saw that the tree was good for food. The lust of the flesh that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. 
and it would desire to make one wise, the pride of life. Those three years of temptation, Satan used to entice Eve, and she fell. and was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now, I want to show you also, he used these same three temptations to tempt Christ. Go with me now, we're pleased, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, Satan will use this world to lure people from things, away from the things of God, what's important to God. He used those to entice Eve. He also used these same three things to tempt Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, do you have it with me? Hebrews 4. Then we're going to go to the actual temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. So if you can look at both of those. But Hebrews 4.15. Look what it says here. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but, but was in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without what? The word points means all types. You know what those types are? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every temptation you have in life, Jesus Christ had. Those three areas. That he was tempted in all points, yet like we are, yet without sin, though he never sinned. Eve was tempted, she fell. Christ was tempted, he did not fall. He was, uh, uh, did not give in the temptation. Now go to Matthew 4. Here's the temptation of Christ, and we're going to see each one of these temptations that Christ experienced. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Matthew chapter 4, please. Now look up here, please. I know I'm going to cover a lot. I don't want you to miss it. We're talking about what are you living for. So many believers are living for what the world has to offer. They're living for the desires of the flesh, the desires of their eyes, and the pride of life as a neglect of what is valuable to God in this lost souls. And we, then we saw that the Satan will use those three areas, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, to tempt you. He did that to Eve, and she fell. He did it to Jesus Christ. Look at it with me, please, if you would. In chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. My friend, that's an understatement. Can you imagine not eating for 40 days? Would you be hungry? I go without a meal one day. I'm, I'm in one part of the day, I get hungry. So by the way, Satan will always attack you in your weakest area. What is your weakest area tonight? What area do you struggle with? Satan will pinpoint that, and he'll see that there I'll defeat that person. So he attacked, tempted Christ when he was hungry. Notice first of all the temptation, number one, was the physical needs and desires. He tempted Christ in his physical needs and his desires. This is the lust of the flesh. Look in verse 3. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made, what? Bread. Otherwise, he could do that. I'm sure the rocks are around him. I know Daddy, he was very hungry. He said, Listen, why don't you take these stones and make them bread? You can do that. 
That was the lust of the flesh. No doubt he was hungry. No doubt he was starving. He wanted something to eat. So Satan often do something contrary to God's way and God's word and do that. So that was the lust of the flesh he tempted Christ with. Number two. Next was the importance of being someone special. Here was the pride of life. The importance of being someone special. The pride of life. Look in verse 5, please. Then the devil taketh him, talking about Jesus, up to a holy, into the holy city, talking about Jerusalem, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and his hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot upon the stone. Basically, go up in the pinnacle, everybody can see you, jump off. And show how special you are that when you are falling down, angels will come and pick you up and save you. Everybody see how wonderful you are, how special you are, and how you are the son of God, the pride of life. And uh, by the way, do you want to be something special? I think we all do in some aspects. But Satan can use that to lure you away from God and the things that are important to God. So the first temptation for Christ was the lust of the flesh, the physical needs and desires. The next one was the pride of life, importance of being someone special. And number three, here we have the lust of the eyes, possessions and power. He was tempted with possessions and power. Look in verse 8, please. Verse 8. He says, Again, the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof, of them. And saith unto him, All these things I will give thee if thou wilt fall down and what? Worship me. He told about possessions. He took him up and showed him all the king's world. You can have all this. By the way, was that Satan's to give? Yes, it was. Remember, the dominion of this world was given to Adam and Eve, but in the fall, they lost it. And now it belongs to Satan. The Bible says he's the God of this world. And he offered them to, uh, to Christ. It was a legitimate offer. He said, all the king's world, I will give you if you follow and worship me. And Christ did not do that. What was that? The lust of the eyes. Look! You can have it all. Now, Christ obtained it all back through the cross. In the book of Revelation, remember, he gets the keys to the kingdom of this world. But it was lost at the fall, given to Satan, save it offers it to him, a legitimate offer, and it was the lust of the eyes. And so the same three areas, the lust of the flesh, his physical needs and desires, the importance of being someone special, the pride of life, and possessions and power with the lust of the eyes. The same three areas, he tempted Eve, he tempted Christ. So you see in the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus in all the same points as we're tempted. He said, turn these stones into bread, the lust of the flesh. You can have all these kingdoms, the lust of the eyes. Jump off from the temple to prove you the son of God, the pride of life. Each one of them, he does that. That was the enticement of Eve, the temptation of Christ, but, you know, he uses this to lure you, to tempt you also. Here's the lure of the believer. He tempted Eve in the garden. He tempted Christ in the wilderness. He tempts the believer today living in this world. Satan will lure the believer to live for temporal things at the neglect of eternal. 
You ever heard of the man called Demas? Demas, in the book of Timothy, to be on the screen, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Notice what this says here. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this, what? Present world, and departed in Thessalonica. Here Paul was speaking to Timothy. The first part of this said, Timothy, do all diligence come unto me. I, was, I, I have some needs, and you bring those things to me. Why? Because Demas hath forsaken me. Demas forsook the ministry and the apostle Paul. Why? Because he loved what the world offered him. I remember I was watching one of my favorite TV shows when I was a boy was The Rifleman. Anybody remember the old westerns? And I remember there was one, uh, his son Mark was out in the, in, the, in the town, and he saw a man pull up in a nice big shiny belt on with a nice uh, pistol in his belt. And he went up there and admired that and began to talk about it, and the man showed him the pistol. But he looked real close, and he looked on the belt, and he had notches on the belt all the way around his waist. He said, sir, what are those notches for? Each notch represents a person I defeated in drawing. Basically, each person I, I killed. So he had notches all around his belt, people he de- they defeated in being the fastest draw. I believe Satan can see the potential each one of us has for God. Many of you have greater potential than others. I believe the greater the potential, the greater the temptation. Because Satan can see what potentially you can do for Christ. And he'll do everything he can do to stop you. And I believe Satan has many notches in his belt. I, I, over the years, over 40 years of being a pastor, I've seen people come and go in our church. People that used to be sitting right where you're at, coming to the church faithfully, serving the Lord, who are now doing nothing for Christ. They're a notch in the devil's belt. Because he used something of this world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, to lure them away from God where they're once serving the Lord, living for Christ, and now doing it for nothing. They're a notch in the devil's belt. When I went to Bible college, my uh, sophomore year, a young man was a freshman. His name was Ben. Ben, I noticed, had tremendous potential. I remember he was on fire for the Lord. He was in my same dorm room, dorm area, and we'd meet there once a week. We'd have Bible studies together during the week. And Ben was on fire... Him and he come, he says, I said, Ben, why are you here? He said, God's called me to preach. I, I want to preach. I want to get my four-year degree, and I want to go preach. I want to pastor a church, be evangelist. I want to preach. And, and the, the young man was on fire. He just kind of thrilled everybody. I mean, he just oozed off everybody with excitement for the Lord. And he had tremendous talent, tremendous ability. He had the personality. He just drew people to himself because personality. He had talent. He could, he could sing. He could play instruments. I mean, he just oozed with personality, oozed with talent. And by the way, he became the freshman class president of his first year there. Everybody could see potential in Ben. And that sophomore year, I was working at Publix as a bag boy. And so Ben, freshman year, started working at Publix as a bag boy. And, and so we worked together, and I could see this man, he's going to do great things for the Lord. His excitement, his potential, his leadership, everything you need to be successful, he had. But I noticed as time went on, his drive to serve the Lord began to kind of wane. While at the uh, Publix, 
the next year I would become a, a junior, he'd become a sophomore. He was working there, and he, because also the manager at Publix saw his uh, abilities and eventually made him a manager of one of the departments. And Ben, who had a sincere desire to finish college and go into the ministry, now began to make money. And I noticed he had a car, but it was, a, it was a, what I call a clunker. It got around, but it wasn't very attractive. But now he's making money. So he bought him a car and began to have monthly payments. And so uh, while I was there also, there was a young lady who worked behind the counter at the cashier, very attractive young lady who set her sights on Ben. She was not a believer, but boy, she was attractive. I think all the guys would look at her because how attractive she was, very worldly. And she started uh, flirting with Ben. And in my senior year, I noticed he, he stayed on the college campus all during the summer. So for the sophomore, freshman year, he worked at Publix. He came back my sophomore year that he now was working at Publix, but he was in management. Now, between his sophomore year and my junior year, he went from a manager. Now he's no longer going to school full-time. He's going to school part-time because he had to pay for the car he bought and, and the goal he had to finish school and to preach was now kind of going by the wayside. My senior year, I come back, he was now dating this unsaved young lady. This young lady uh, had lured him and now attracted him and now had a relationship together. And then I came back from my master's degree my fifth year, and now he went from working full-time, to, I mean part-time to Publix, to full-time to Publix, and now he went to full-time school to part-time school, and when I went back, now he's no longer going to school. Now he's got an apartment, he married this young lady, and he become another notch in the devil's belt. A man who had great potential for God, doing great things for God, who now is doing nothing, nothing, nothing for God because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Ten years after I graduated, I was a pastor here, and I remember I went visit. I went to another church for some conference, and I saw Ben's brother, who also went to school with Ben. I said, brother, I said, how is Ben doing? And he paused, not good. Now he's a manager in Publix, but he's divorced. His wife left him for another man. He's not going to church any place. He has no ministry. He's doing nothing for God. He become another notch in the devil's belt. Because of why? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These same three areas, he tempted Eve, defeated her. He tempted Christ, Christ won. He tempts you. He tempts you. And so let me go quickly through this. Demas was tempted and Demas fell. Demas forsook the ministry, having loved this present world. Devil threw all three of the temptations, Eve in the garden. He threw them at Jesus in the wilderness, and also he would throw them at you. Many believers have become notches in the devil's belt because they've given in to these temptations. If you would please go with me now to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. So understanding these three areas of temptation, that Christ would tempt in all points as we are, yet without sin, we need to be on the alert. 
we need to be on the alert. Many of you know this verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Then we need to kick it in high gear. <laughs> First Peter 5, verse 8. Here Peter speaking to the believer. Look what he says. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant. It means to watch and keep awake. To be on the alert. That's what this means here. To be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion... Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But notice in verse 9 Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The same afflictions, the same temptation they have, you have. Every believer will be tempted in these three areas. So when you think about being tempted, think about is that the lust of my flesh? Is that the desires of my eyes? Or is it the pride of my life? Every temptation will fall in three areas. And Satan will use those to eventually make you another notch in his belt if you'll let him, if you'll give in to them. So let me go through this quickly. He will tempt the believer, the temptation of pleasure, the lust of the flesh, the temptation of possessions. Remember, Ben, his pleasure was that woman. His possession now was a new car and a job making money. Then also the temptation of, uh, of person, personhood, the pride of life. He be, became very successful in life. He became a successful businessman, manager of a Publix, making good money and doing nothing for God. In the eyes of the world, he was a success. In the eyes of God, he was a failure because he gave in the temptation. So we have the value of a soul, the lure of this world, and lastly, let me close with this, talking about living for the eternal. Living for the eternal. First of all, as a believer, our focus should be on the eternal, not the temporal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, the verses be on the screen. Paul said, while we look, not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Remember the lust of the eyes? It focuses on things which you can see. As a Christian, we should not focus, should not be on the things we, we can see. The temporal things, the things which we cannot see, the eternal. Focusing on the eternal, letter B, living for what has eternal value. Living for what has eternal value. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it said, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things which are above, not on things of the earth. You know, Ben, who had great potential to do great things for God, he focused on the temporal, the things which he could see, and focused on a goal to obtain these things. His, uh, he sought the things which are below, not the things which are above. He set his affection on what the world offered him and not what the Christ offered him. And by the way, what are the things that eternal we should focus our eyes upon? What are the things eternal that we should live for? Let me give you three of them. We'll close with this. Three things that are eternal that you should live your life for. Number one is the word of God. Number one, the word of God. First Peter 1, 23. Being born again, 
not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth what? Forever. So God's word is eternal. If I'm going to live for that which is eternal, then I'll live for the word of God. Number two, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Another thing that is eternal, it it goes on to say in 1 Peter 1, verse 24, for all flesh is as the grass, all glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God, word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So if I want to live for eternity, things that count for eternity, I'll live for the word of God, I'll live for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and lastly, the third thing's eternal, the souls of men. The souls of men. Remember our first verse? For what shall it profit man if he gain the whole world and lose his own much? So what shall he give in exchange for his soul? Those three things. So let me ask you a question as I close. What are you living for? Are you living for what the world offers you? The things you desire of your flesh? The things you desire with your eyes? Or the things that make you feel important, the pride of life? Are you living to reach the loss for Christ? Someone said this, and I'll close. You can look at your checkbook and how you spend your money and find out where your values are at. Go to your bank account and examine how your money is spent. How much is it spent on the things of Christ? How much is it spent for the church? How much is spent in, in missions as compared to how much is spent on material things? From those two, you can find out where your values are at. What are you living for? The desires of your flesh? The desires of that which you can see or the pride of life? Or are you living for lost souls? Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. We saw two... Men, one of them in the Bible, one of them in a story, that I believe both of them become a notch in the devil's belt. The devil probably saw great potential in them, accomplishing great things for God, and the devil focused in on them to lure them away from God. One was the name of Demas. Demas had forsaken the ministry. The Apostle Paul, why? Because he loved this present world. I share with a man by the name of Ben who had great potential for God, who would do great things for God, but Satan saw his potential and used the things of this world to lure him away from God, who is now doing nothing for Christ, who become another notch in the devil's belt. And I wonder the next maybe five or ten years, who else in this church would be another notch in the devil's belt? Who else would be someone who has been in church all the time, serving the Lord faithfully, doing things for Christ, who eventually end up doing nothing for the Lord. Could that be you? Because remember, he will use this world to lure you away from the Lord. He'll do those same three areas he did in Eve, he did with Christ, and he'll do with you. The desires of the things of your flesh, the desires of the things which you can see, and the desire to be someone special, important in life. These are the three areas Satan will tempt you to lure you away from God. So I encourage you, Christian, to be sober, to be vigilant, 
because your adversary is walking about seeking you whom he desires to devour. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the admonishment it gives us. It tells us how Satan wants to defeat us. And Lord, we're not ignorant of his devices. And we can see these areas of temptation and have victory over them through your word and through your spirit. Help us to value the things which are important to you. And that's your word, that's the gospel, and the lost souls of men. Help us live for them, those, and not for the things of this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.